Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to the first episode of season seven. Can you believe it's season seven? Oh my gosh, it's just flying by. (laughs) And today, we're going to be talking with Dale Roberts. You're going to love this conversation. And you know, Dale's like that faucet you just can't turn off. He has so much great stuff to talk about regarding self-publishing. So if you're familiar with Dale, he's selfpublishingwithdale.com. And he's got tons of great uh, videos on YouTube that you definitely have to check out. So let's go ahead and kick off the season about writing a book that builds your business with Dale Roberts. If you are a solopreneur and want growing your business to be easier, welcome to the Simplify and Multiply Show, hosted by award-winning creative, business development expert, and tactical coach, Terry Pappy. The Simplify and Multiply Show promises to become your practical, tactical, and motivational guide to succeeding as a solopreneur. Hey there, Solo. I'm Terry Pappy, and I created Simplify and Multiply to provide you a place where you can discover how to make your business more profitable. I'm going to do this by helping you remove the complexity from marketing and business development. So if that sounds good to you, listen in. Welcome, Dale, to the Simplify and Multiply show. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. You know, I feel like we're repeating ourselves, repeating ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, we are repeating ourselves. Should we repeat ourselves again? (laughs) We should probably repeat ourselves. No, actually, I'm really just wonderful. And uh, as I was sharing with you, this is one of those days where I just had this laundry list that was just a mile long of things to do. And I just, for some reason, it's one of those days that you just, you're on point. You know, you're having a fantastic day, just chopping away and that tree falls down and you go, man, all I've got now is a podcast interview. So it's smooth sailing, baby. (laughs) You make it sound like I'm the last weight you had to lift at the workout. (laughs) (laughs) It's the last rep. Two more. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, when we, you know, you're you're kind of directing where I want to start talking to you. It's like Mm -hmm. we've got. Uh, you know, a solopreneur who wants to write their book, right? Yeah. And they're they're thinking of a million different things. They've done research, they've talked to people, whatever they've done, they've done. But they're sitting at the laptop or their, you know, yellow legal pad and they're ready to go and then they just sit there. So when you look at having that to-do list of accomplishing, getting writing done, getting that book, you know, first draft complete, uh, what are some of the things that you're seeing that work for a lot of your, um, like the people who take your programs or who you work with in getting through their 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 first drafts? This is going to seem real um, rah-rah type speech and such, but the reason why people aren't able to move the needle to get that first draft done is typically one of two reasons. One reason is... They don't know why they're doing it. They don't technically know why they're, they, they just, you know, wanting to do a book. Everybody wants to do a book. Why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. What is your purpose for doing the book? Because if you've got the purpose, the how comes very clear. It becomes very abundantly clear. Good friend of mine, Dan Courier, he actually hosts a channel called Creator Fundamentals over on YouTube. He's actually working on one of his books. And we sat down, we talked about his game plan, what he needed to do to get everything going. And came down to the last week and I'm kind of saying, Hey, how's the progress coming? And at first it was like, Oh, you know, some things got in the way. Hey, how's the progress coming? Oh, some other things got in the way. I was like, okay, 
clearly what you're doing right now is not working. Might I recommend something that I knew he was good at is talking. I was like, you already record videos. You do a ton of them. Why don't you see about doing voice dictation? Bam. He just started cranking out page after nice. page after page after page. And so the how kind of revealed itself, thankfully, through a little bit of coaching and coaxing on my part. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, know your reason because the how becomes abundantly clear. Now, the next thing is uh, you got to know who you're, who you're writing for, mm -hmm. who exactly you're writing for. Sometimes people are not sure about who they're writing for and they get, they get in their own way. They start to get stuck in this vision of perfection. How, oh, well, my book's going to be like this. Oh, it's going to be like that. It's going to be like this. Your reader is not expecting perfection. Your reader is only expecting to either A, in the niche that you and I are in, being uh, content creators, nonfiction writers, if you will. They're looking right. for a solution to their problem. For those that are in the fiction writing space, they're wanting someone to suspend their disbelief for a certain period of time. So know your ideal reader. Who are you speaking to? And then from there, remember this. There's no such thing as perfection, all right? None, okay? You will never be able to get it out from your head down onto paper or that yellow legal pad. Do people actually still do that? I, I actually have some people that use that. That's amazing. Hey, I, I'm not making fun of you. If you are if you are one of those folks that has a, the yellow legal pad. I mean, uh, I love to write, but I have not used that approach for any of my books. Maybe my first one, I used a journal and I wrote, yeah. it was more just to kind of capture some experiences, not to actually do the full draft because mm -hmm. you still have to get it in the computer at some point. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> I do find that, you know, to, to their defense, I do find that jotting out notes myself, I actually have a journal sitting here and right in front of me and none of your listeners are going to be able to see this, but I have one that I jot down notes and general outlines. Mm -hmm. That way, if I'm working on something and I go, oh, I got a good idea, right. I'll write it down so I can circle back around to it and just check it off without having to go over and plug it into my notes over on my iPhone or on my Mac. So yeah, it, there, there is that. But um, you know, I'm just going to say this again. You know, If you know your ideal reader, know that your ideal reader is not expecting perfection. What they're expecting is a book, all right? Mm -hmm. Make it happen. I give you... 100% permission from this day forward, if you're listening to this, dear listener, to make mistakes, to make an absolute mess of your first draft. In fact, mm. you have my permission to make a complete hammered garbage. Because here's the nice thing is you're not going to go and publish it right afterwards. You better not go and publish yeah. it right afterwards. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know you. Uh, first draft should never be the thing that should be put out into the world. Yeah. The only person that needs to see that is going to be your editor and your beta readers. And beyond that, I mean, your first draft, please. You know, here, here's, a good, here's a good analogy. And this is going to make sense to everybody out here. Um, for you, Terry... I want you to tell me what is one of your favorite movies that was made from a book? Oh, made from a book, The Glass Castle. Okay, The Glass Castle. Did you read the book? Yes, first. Okay, which did you like better? The book, 100%. Why is that? Uh, because I came to my own conclusions uh, through uh, reading the, the experience. Exactly. Um, and I, mm -hmm. Your imagination starts to paint different pictures right. and you start to assume a different type of a voice than say the author ever does. 
And I don't know that there's many movies out there that can capture the same magic that your imagination can. So it is a reverse process in the same aspect of you wanting to make your first draft or your upcoming manuscript and publication the same as what you have in your head is just it's an impossible game. Don't put yourself into that position because you're going to be very disappointed at the end of the day. Just be okay. This is what one of my favorite phrases I'd like to say is embrace the perfection and imperfection. So be okay with not being okay. That's great. That's great. I love that. And, you know, as we're talking about writing a book that builds your business and how powerful self-publishing can be. So there's going to be a, a bunch, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm probably going to go all over the place with these questions yeah. based on what you're saying and then where my mind goes, which it's always a free for all on this show. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate you rolling with me. Um, one of the things that I, I was thinking about when you said editor and beta readers is, and this is kind of a jump into a, a, a new little square on the board, is for self-publishers, I found when I was doing my first uh, books, it was very challenging to find a good editor, an editor that could really honor my voice. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up finding uh, a friend of a friend who was, she was a newspaper line editor. So she, her editing was a different style yeah. um, and than it was actually a true manuscript, like, you know, someone who maybe edits fiction or even nonfiction. Uh, but I found that it worked really well working with uh, her name is Judy and and she did a great job uh, mm -hmm. with me. But there have been instances where I've wanted to find uh, a new writer for I mean, a new editor for my stuff, as well as uh, for clients who were doing drafts. And I've always found it very challenging because editors are they're very unique in their background experience, as well as the the level of expertise they can bring to your work. So what can you say about helping someone who's doing the self-publishing route that really needs the support of a good editor? This is a really tough one, and I think we can probably spend almost an entire hour to two hours. So I'm going to try to be as brief as possible, which is not my strong suit. Um, uh, <laughs> when it comes to editing, I'm going to tell you, uh, most times I've run into uh, self-published authors typically don't have much money to spare. They don't have much discretionary expense. So the very first thing they sacrifice is hiring a good editor. Mm -hmm. Now, I totally get if you do have a friend of a friend or you have an acquaintance who is willing to say, for instance, do a quid pro quo, you know, that you do something for them, they do something for you in editing your book, or maybe they're even willing to sit down. That's totally cool. Either way, never skip the process of editing externally yeah. you shouldn't trust yourself never trust yourself you are you have this bias about your work no matter how much you would like to believe that you uh, you already ran it through grammarly and you use microsoft words editor and you use <laughs> pro writing aid and you used hemingway all that stuff means jack squat because yeah. you need to get it into another person's hands so they can be able to give you an unbiased review of what needs to be fixed because the editor is responsible for polishing your message, for getting it to where it's more clear and your reader can understand exactly the direction that you're coming from and your intent. Um, so 
All right, now that we got the whole don't skip the editor part, the problem is is trying to find one. And kudos to you that you found one. Hang on to her. Don't let her go. Like, (laughs) I'm going to tell you this. My very first editor, I I weep to this day. Uh, She pretty much just, you know, no more more editing. So I'm kind of like, I went to a new editor and my new editor's fantastic. She just did wonderful, wonderful work. Um, But when it comes to editors and finding them, the very first thing I'm going to tell you is referrals, word of mouth. Reach out to somebody. It could be Terry. It could be me. It could be anybody. Heck, if you've got a favorite author, reach out to the author and see what editor mm-hmm. they used. Might I recommend, though, that if you do look for an editor, make sure they're equipped for your style, for your niche. So it wouldn't make sense, Terry, for you to go and get your nonfiction book edited by a science fiction fantasy editor. Of course, editor. Yeah. I mean, they've done thousands of science fiction fantasy books, but then they come on over and they're looking at your nonfiction book. See, they only know that area. And, and some people say, well, and an editor's an editor's an editor. No, that's not true at all. Mm, yeah. not, not really. Yeah, sure. Maybe they're good. But here's the thing is, is the longer they're in that space and in that niche, they start to understand how the audience functions and what are some of the typical problems and stumbling blocks that they come upon. And then they're able to get that to where they refine your message accordingly. So that was one of the things that was very fortunate being in fitness that I worked with somebody that was in the healthcare industry. And so she was actually able to go through and pick holes in a lot of things that I was bringing up. Hey, you got to cite your sources here. This is opening into you to liabilities here. This, I was just like, oh my gosh. I was like, "Uh, I, I, (laughs) I just wanted to put out books about exercise, but it was so cool that since she was in the space and she understood the space that she was mm-hmm. able to get it to where I could deliver the best manuscript onto the market that I could. So I would say referrals is going to be the very first thing. If you don't know anybody inside the space, then find someone. Just look for a, an author of some sort. And, and, you know, we're in the day and age of social media here, folks. So everybody is pretty much accessible so mm-hmm. if they don't respond to you, then, you know, screw it. They big lead you. Move on. Yeah. Go over to somebody else. <laughs> they big lead you. That's good. Yeah. Find somebody else that will, you know, take the time to go ahead. Because, I mean, if anybody ever asked me, hey, Dale, who's your, your editor? I'd, I'd be happy to discuss it with you. But that's just me. Either way, get yourself a good editor that's familiar with your niche and also that you can gel well with. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, Terry, you didn't do this at all. If you did, you know, hey, I think you dodged a bullet. Did you send in your entire manuscript and said, okay, I'm going to get you to fix this? Or did you do a sample with that person first? I did a sample, but because I already had a, a good relationship with her, I knew who she was, like I said, mm. a friend of a friend. Um, and we had a lot of conversations around, you know, her getting to know me personally, because it was a memoir that she proofed. And then it was some nonfiction stuff afterwards. And I think she was, it's so funny because she, she let me make these style things. It's like, she didn't change my style because Mm -hmm. the, like I, I put a modifier in a different place or something. And, and it wasn't like, oh, that's grammatically wrong. It was like, oh, I think it's really interesting how you do this in your writing. (laughs) Yeah. And so she let me be me, but it's still conveyed. Um, And what I, what I also really appreciated about what she did and i think this is important from an editor perspective is she honored the whole story so you know a lot of people think editors are about grammar format you know 
whatever, all the kind of like technical stuff. Yeah. When in fact, it's like you were saying about the message, the integrity of the message. It's about really making sure that the the whole story has integrity and that the the purpose of the book is 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 together, and mm-hmm. and she honors honors that and. Um, she challenged me on a couple of things, you know. <laughs> That's good. Uh, That's good. Yeah, no, she, no, it was good because you know, I mean, this was a raw and ragged edge. I was, I was on with this, um, with this memoir. I think if I wrote it five years after I wrote it, I would have done, a, a, had a totally different approach because I wasn't a confident writer when I first wrote it. That was my first book. Yeah. And it was more just you know sharing the experience. I mean, this is a, was a segment, a very traumatic segment of my life that I covered. Um, and a big heartbreak, you know, and so as much as I wanted to tell the story and honor the story, I wasn't really being raw, as raw as I could have been, I think, because I, I don't know that I even had access to it at that point because I was still in grief. Yeah. It's kind of like Joan Didion when she wrote The the Year of Magical Thinking. She, I believe, because I've been there, <laughs> that she wrote it too soon after her she became a widow, Um that she she didn't have access to what was really there and and the book was kind of a, a hot mess <laughs> yeah. in a lot of ways um and she's a wonderful writer she's a wonderful writer um so yeah so i think that was something i really loved about judy and what she brought to the table in, in editing those first pieces um uh, with me but yeah for sure nice nice um yeah it, it's it's a good tip to everybody that if you do work with an editor um, always do a sample first. Um, a great example, actually, is a friend of mine and a longtime follower of the channel, uh, world-famous magician Adam Wilbur. Mm-hmm. Adam um, made the, the, the egregious mistake of <laughs> throwing his whole manuscript at an editor. He said he got it back. It was horrible. And we're talking he's already a few hundred bucks into the hole. So he sends it to another editor, said this person made it even worse. So he learned his lesson. The third editor comes along. He does a sample with this one. She was fantastic. Go figure. He's already out. I think he said he almost spent like a couple of grand by the time he'd went through three editors well, on course. a smaller yeah, manuscript. That many times. And, yeah. and look at the time he lost as a result of going, you know, the long way, so to speak. Yeah. No less that, you know, he's having to probably volley this back and forth with mm-hmm. these editors and trying to fix the manuscript only to discover like this person's pretty not not good. Not good. I, I would hate yeah. to say that he, he wouldn't say they're horrible. But he wasn't happy with their work because he was sending it back. And he's like, you're an editor? I, no, 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 this is not good. So, yeah, always do a sample. Sit down. Um, some will do it for free. A vast majority of them will ask for some type of a payment. Right. And then from that point on, typically, you will probably have to either spend the money up front or 50% down. And some of them, rare editors, will actually collect when it's all done. I have an editor, I've known her for years now, that she just takes it when it's all done. She's like, yeah, here you go, here's your bill. And I'm like, yay. Yeah. (laughs) I've got the manuscript, I'm running off with it. (laughs) Yeah, and some do a per page, some do a word count. You know, it's like they have their own, um, you know, formulas for making it worth worth their while. But I, Mm -hmm. I really think that 
one of the most important things you said was you got to gel with your editor Mm -hmm. because, you know, especially in nonfiction, especially in nonfiction, because what makes a a nonfiction piece so good is when the author really kind of just like opens up an artery and just bleeds on the page, (laughs) even if it's humorous bleeding, you know, it's, it's not, doesn't all need to be like, Oh, my life was over when this person did this to me or whatever, you know, it's more about, you know, Call, holding that author, that writer to account to be responsible for telling the story as honestly as possible. Yeah. And, and it's always going to be from their perspective because that's their experience. Mm-hmm. But to find uh, an editor that will honor that and, and call you to account, hold you to account uh, to do that, I think is is huge is huge. So yeah. letting them get to know you, I think, is important too. Getting to it's, know you, you know, so editing, good. editing is a tough job. Oh, yeah. Because you're, you know, it's like you're not the the inception or creator of the work mm-hmm. and and you're you're in tandem with them. You're, um, you know, kind of like a partner in crime. You're you're bringing it into being. So there is a creative element from that standpoint, like co-creative. But at the end of the day, it's you're really honoring something that's already been created. Um, and that can be. And because I know a lot of editors also are writers. And um, that's how they got into publishing to begin with. They, they just started writing. And next thing you know, they were working for one of the seven sisters and they got thrown into an editor role, um, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the story. Or they ended up working at a newspaper. I mean, that was Judy's background was uh, newspaper um, editing. So which is a completely different type of, of writing altogether. Yeah. Um, so when you're looking at self-publishing, also just one last note on editors is mm-hmm. a lot of the the um, self-publishing companies that will like Author House and places like that that are not Amazon, where you're going straight through Amazon to get your book all set up uh, through their mechanisms, um, they'll offer editing services as well. Mm-hmm. Now, you may not have direct contact with the editor from the standpoint of building that deep relationship, you know, there may be some mechanisms in place because it's one of the, the publisher's editors, but explore that as an option as well. Is that something that you've found successful for some of your people or do you recommend that they get one on their own? I typically just recommend if you're going to do self-publishing, go all the way, do, do it on your own. Um, there are other avenues that you can do for like DFY, done for you type services. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, this is not me doing a shameless plug, uh, good friends, uh, of mine, Archangel Inc book launchers. They have some of that, some of that stuff built in and you can even order a la carte through some of the, their services. But typically if you're going to go it alone, I would just almost always recommend, uh, try to find the editor on your own or even reaching out to some of the done for you services and seeing if they have recommendations. Cause sometimes, they understand that you're not going to be able to afford their services. So you may have to go find alternatives and they True. might actually give some recommendations, referrals over to some people they consider of high quality, but probably at a less of a premium than some of the done for you services. Right, right. Exactly. Thank you. Well, I don't want to make this whole show the how to <laughs> because I will yeah, tell yeah. my listener, Dale has so much amazing content about you've got to follow him on YouTube for sure. Um, You know, self-publishing with Dale. And I'll have links to all his stuff on the show notes page. So definitely check that out. But please get involved with a resource like Dale 
to get yourself going if this is your first pass. Or even if you've done traditional and you want to start doing self, get connected with Dale. So, Dale, what I want to shift and talk about now is more about what you're observing regarding the self-publishing industry, Mm -hmm. what you're seeing with experts who are solopreneurs that are out there writing their first or their next book. And it's oriented toward, obviously, building their business, which is what really we're talking about today. And what my listener wants to understand, like, how can I make my book help me build my business? Um, Again, I don't want to go into the how-to, but I'd really like you to just kind of talk about some of the observations that you're making, given where we're at with this new economy, uh, post-pandemic type of a a new thought, um, how people are working from home more, they're looking at creating their expertise and authority and using, you know, publishing. Uh, Also to those that are out there saying, oh, there's so many books, there's so much stuff out there, I don't need to contribute to that noise, you know. It's like there's a whole bunch of things. So what are you really seeing happening with authors who self-publish, who solopreneurs who do things, and just the industry in general? What I'm seeing right now is the ones who are winning right now, that are winning big, and that are driving a profitable business going into 2020 and beyond are the ones that know how to diversify. They're not just strictly trying to rely on, say, building a YouTube channel Mm -hmm. or doing a podcast or, let's say, running a consulting business or doing a freelance business. They're understanding that they can't be just a one-trick pony with only one thing to rely on. So those that diversify their portfolio and the ways that they can earn are the ones that are going to win big. And I know what we're focused on more is going to be the book end of things. But let's just take books, for instance, and we're going to split it down. We're going to just break it down because it's not just one book. Okay, because you can take one specific manuscript and you can repurpose that three ways right out the gate. You can get it through ebook, you can get it through print book, and you can get it through audiobook. Let's put audiobook off to the side for just a moment because it's easier for me to discuss ebook and print book. You can literally publish a book for free doing ebook and print book, and you can distribute it for free and make money. It's magical. It's kind of like YouTube. You just you shoot a video, you put it up there, and then the magic fairies start to rain money down upon you. <laughs> I wish it did work out that way, but you get the idea. You get paid for the specific asset. So the same thing works for the ebooks and print books. You can go through the online juggernaut known as Amazon. It's free to publish there. And if you find the great resources that you can, you maybe you find a good cover designer that will work for you. Uh, through a quid pro quo system. If you write your own manuscript, you find someone to get it edited, you put it all together, you can get it over to Amazon. And all they do is they collect, I think, 30% of every sale for eBooks and about 40% minus printing fees for print books. That's stellar. Gone are the days of the garage full of books, the big pallets (laughs) full where you had to order a thousand of them in advance. Now we got print on demand. We're in the modern day of self-publishing. No longer is it the weird uncle who's got the palette full of erotica books and he wants to go ahead and pawn them <laughs> off over onto you. You know? So now we're, we're in this modern day self-publishing model. So we've got those two assets right there. Let's now, bring... let, me, let me ask you a question. Don't sure. lose your train of thought. Um, mm-hmm. For POD, who's printing perfect bound hardback? 
in POD. Perfect bound it hardback. It used to be Lo- Lulu, right? Wasn't Lulu one doing it? Lulu still does it. Actually, uh, you know, it's so funny. Uh, it's it, As they're probably listening now, I'll probably even go ahead. I'm going to give a quick shout out to them because Lulu is actually sponsoring me this next month. Uh, <laughs> Lulu's fantastic out there. I want to say a big hi to Chelsea Bennett out there. But uh, Lulu's a great one. Uh, Ingram Spark is another fantastic option and one a lot of people are sleeping on and probably one of the best in quality, in my opinion, is Barnes & Noble Press. Really? Interesting. They're doing perfect bound hardback. Yeah. However, the problem is... As POD? That's like... The distribution is what gets me a little bit... It's stuck in the United States. That's it. You can't distribute outside the U.S. Lulu and Ingram Spark have that ability. They have that reach. And here's the beauty of it. If you do it through Lulu, guess what? Lulu goes over to Barnes & Noble and Amazon. So that's pretty freaking cool, in my opinion. I'm not sure why yeah. I made a squirrel sound, but there you go. That's where we're at. <laughs> You're just excited about your sponsor this month. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, Lulu's good. Good crew. Yes, well, folks. thank you for letting me interrupt you, because that's one of the things that I, I noticed just going direct to Amazon, because I, I love doing Kindle versions of my books as well. And I've done the POD print, like I've designed them, laid them out. And mm-hmm. I, I enjoy that, right? That's fun. But it is a lot of effort. Um and I know they offer services and stuff, but one of the things I was disappointed with was the fact that I couldn't really do any perfect bound hardback, um, you know, traditional printer or publisher type uh, of, you know, creation of that book on demand, which is yep. a big difference. And here's the cool thing. You want to remove the middleman? Ready? You could remove the middleman and you could go do offset printing, which means go to a local printer and have them print out a pallet full of books. Well, that's and when you you're there in your, your garage, though. <laughs> right. But... <laughs> Actually, and this is the fun part. Lulu's not paying me, by the way, right now. They're not officially paying me until about another few days. <laughs> okay. As we're recording this, um, they actually do have integration with Shopify, and they also have the API to work with your website to where you can do something. It's called Lulu Express. It integrates with your website, and it essentially will drop ship your print-on-demand books, and they don't collect anything from that. They don't collect. Wow. They just do the printing fees, and that's it. You collect. Is that a new service profit. that they're doing, or have they it, been doing that? It is relatively new. Not too many people know about this, and actually, mm-hmm. I'll be covering it here in the coming weeks. Uh, cool. I talked about it about a year and a half ago when I was interviewing Chelsea Bennett, and she was just rolling out. She was talking about the features that were going to be coming out, and now it's starting to come to fruition. And so, I'm really excited about that because there's a lot of people that don't want to have that middleman. They don't want somebody reaching in there and grabbing profits because it's like, Mm. that's your baby. You've put all the work into it. And it's like, oh, but I've either A, got to go do offset printing, which we already know, going to be that weird uncle, which by the way, (laughs) as we're all kind of laughing, I'm only doing this just to get Terry to pop. That's that's really all I'm doing. (laughs) Because there actually are some authors out there. A good friend of mine, John Celestri, he's actually a... uh, legendary animator he did the uh, he-man um cartoons you remember oh, those? no kidding yeah yeah he's a actually fantastic guy he actually did a uh crowdfunding wow. for one of his books called rough sketch and by doing the crowdfunding through kickstarter and then later on he did the other one indiegogo uh he was able to get all of the money in advance so he didn't pay anything out of pocket Wow. He ordered the pallet full of books, but guess what? That pallet full of books went right back out the door because he sent them on out there. So 
don't think this is me pooping on getting a pallet full of books inside your garage. I'm, <laughs> I'm giving you a hard time, though, if you are the type of person that's going out and buying bulk of your book without proof right. of concept in advance. Mm-hmm. John had proof of concept. He had the buyers lined up and ready to go. Those of you that are going out and believing, well, I've got the next catcher in the rye on my hands. Well, I've got the next awaken the giant within on my hands. Okay, you're going to have to temper your expectations with the reality. The reality is you ain't as good as you think that you are. So Mm. I would recommend instead of hedging all of your bets on yourself, look at the print on demand options, build your audience out, use tools like Lulu Express that you can collect all of your money if you would like, and then get it to where you can bootstrap your way to buying that pallet full of books that will immediately go right back out the door to the readers that are out there. So I wanted to kind of cover that one. I, I made no, a couple I love jokes that. at I, it. <laughs> yeah, I love that that one little question actually, you expanded on it like that because, um, you know, I would like to look into the options of doing a hardback version of my of Flying Solo, which is what I'm working on now. And I just think that'd be cool. You know, I just love the feel of it, the idea of it. Yep. And I agree with you on cutting out the middleman. You know, the supply chain is really important when it comes to public publishing mm-hmm. and being able to have like one source to go to whenever there's an issue, challenge, question, whatever, that is huge. That is huge. And then you're not dealing with all these disparate parties who are responsible for this and that and the other thing. Um, but yeah, if you can get somebody who can do turnkey for you from from taking the manuscript and creating that asset and being able to ship, drop ship or store or whatever, you know, uh, on demand is is beautiful. So I'm, I'm happy to, I'm going to look into the Lulu Express. Um, that sounds pretty cool. So let's get back to what you were talking about regarding mm-hmm. diversification, because mm-hmm. it's interesting. I had Joel Block on and, and uh, Joel and I met through National Speakers Association and he wrote a, a wonderful book uh, called uh, Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. And he talks about exactly that. And I think in in a different perspective, and he calls his the revenue octopus. So in the speaker yes. world, you have, you know, your your source of income is doing keynotes on stage, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can also write books, you can do a podcast, you can do uh, training, you can do, uh, you know, like an online membership. There's like a whole ton of different things that you can create that bring in sources of revenue. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at just the self-publishing aspect, you're speaking to regarding diversification, the different ways you can repurpose that actual manuscript. Terry will be right back with the rest of the show in just a moment. Whether you wanna write a book to help build your business or it's simply a passion project, Writing is a powerful form of creative self-expression. If your ideas will transform the lives of others, what are you waiting for? Let it pour out of you. A writer's journey is just that, a journey. Be honest, be real, and most importantly, be yourself. But if you're struggling to get it done, confused about how to tie it into your business, or dealing with a chronic creative block, get the guidance to get it done. If you want the creative fuel, the nurturing, and the challenge to make your book the best it can be, Pappy Club is the place for you. Join Pappy Club and discover how you can express your perspectives through something that strengthens your brand, your business, and supports the lifestyle you want. Try it for free by visiting pappyclub.com, and that's P-A-P-P-Y-C-L-U-B.com to sign up now, and I'll see you there. Yeah, yeah, it's breaking all that stuff down. We already kind of hit print, we hit ebook. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's so important that we do touch on audiobook. Now, absolutely. Before I get too far, I feel like I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I got really excited. Um, <laughs> it, it is important that you have many avenues because sometimes life, as we've discovered here in the most part of 2020, is there's going to come an interruption and yeah. you need to have something that's going to keep your ship mm-hmm. afloat. And that's why having some of these assets are going to be one of the ways that you can diversify your business. I love how you say octopus. I always think of it as um, garden hoses in a bucket, you know, and you're putting in numerous garden hoses and maybe one of those hoses might dry up at some point or another, but at least you have others that are pouring into that bucket. Right. The one thing we can all agree on is ebooks aren't going anywhere. People are consuming ebooks every day. But here's the funny thing. While everybody's paid attention to ebooks and print books continue to sell, even as stores have shut down and some have been furloughed for the temporary. And mm-hmm. you know, this will come, this will be lifted as as all things. Um, print continues to thrive. People yeah. continue to order it online. You can thank Gutenberg for that. <laughs> yeah, it's just it keeps getting sales. But mm-hmm. quietly in the background, something has been creeping up and it's the audiobook publishing industry. It's because people are wanting to consume your content in a more digestible format. Let's just face the facts. It's harder to read a book versus listening to an audiobook. You can right. multitask while you listen to an audiobook. Absolutely. And so with the rise of podcasts. If you're listening to this, you know the value of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Well, I want you to focus on the fact that also audiobooks are right on the same trajectory that podcasts have. And I'm sorry I have to speak anecdotally, but I just have to because unfortunately I don't have any of the reports right offhand here. But the audiobook growth over the past two to three years has been 35%. Wow. And you compare that to kind of the stagnant growth of print. It's kind of mm-hmm. maintained its course. Ebook dropped roughly about 5%. Okay, it got up there, it spiked down, and it just kind of has leveled out a little bit. But audiobook continues year after year to grow in sales. Downloadable audiobooks, not to be confused with the audiobooks that are on tape or CD. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, that's still a lucrative industry. I can imagine. It's crazy. People are still buying books on tape and books on Can't CD. Can't you like stop at a uh, uh, Cracker Barrel and like get a, a book on tape and like listen to it on your road trip down 95 or 75 or something like that? It's been a while, but I bet you Cracker Barrel probably <laughs> still does carry it. they still have that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's something else. But, you know, at um, any rate, though, yeah, uh, digital, you know, if you can get anything into digital form. And here's the funny thing is I'm going to give you a little bit of a a little bit of a hack, a way to repurpose your content in more ways than one. Chances are very likely that if you're running a business and you are writing a book that is suited to your skill set, then there are other people in other languages looking for that. Oh, so now we're going to transition over to translation rights. You own the copyright to your work. Therefore, you can make it shake it or bake it any way that you wish. And so what I would recommend is if you have insights into audiences that are particularly looking for your type of content, then you may want to translate into it. We're just going to say, generically speaking, 
we'll say um, a lot more people want to learn more about um, self-publishing. We'll just say for mine, for instance, and I can go over to my YouTube dashboard and I can see that I actually have a very large base over in India. So chances are very likely I want to make sure I translate my books over to say Hindi. Or we'll say that I have a big following over in Spain. Naturally, I want to go ahead and translate that in Spanish. Now where we originally had just three assets, we just doubled it. So we yeah. went from English, then we have Spanish, and then we can add another three over into Portuguese, over to mm -hmm. French, over to Italian. This goes on and on and on and on as much as you wish. Now, let's just say, for instance, you're a busy person. You're an entrepreneur. You're like, Dale, no way. I don't have the time for that. I don't have, just honestly, and I don't have the money to hire a translator. Good news. Good news. Sell the rights. Sell the rights to it. Because here's the one thing is, you, by selling your rights, you're going to get paid for something that is just sitting there and not being done. Like no one's doing anything with it. And when it does get put out there, guess whose face is going to be with that specific book? It's still going to be you, the author. Mm -hmm. When you sell the rights for distribution, you're not selling the rights to your actual manuscript. You're getting them the right to send it out into a different language, but it's going to keep your face involved in that brand. And what does that do? That puts you in front of another audience who didn't otherwise know about you to begin with. And so then your brand starts to grow exponentially. Now there's mm. a number of services that you can you know, look into for getting your books translated. There's even some that you can look into for selling your translation rights. And unfortunately that one eludes my brain right now. Um, but this, t I just want to kind of spotlight something on here. The opportunity that you have in front of you, and it's easier than you know to build a massive brand when it comes to self-publishing and I'm going to tell you it's it's easier than you know and all it need you need to do is just be able to just chip away at it one bit at a time it's a great that we're kind of circling back around to what I, I began with here is yep. you get this big old to-do list that, that you cranked big out today to -do list. And if you just do a little bit at a time yeah. it's going to be massive there's a good reason that I've functioned like a small publishing house since right about 2014 and I have somewhere in excess of about 3,000 different publications underneath my publishing brand alone. 3,000. Wow, and why is that? It's because I learned a system and I saw the opportunity. Okay, we can put the translations here. We can do the translations here. We can do the translations here. So you see how it starts to just multiply and grow. Now, I'm not telling you to put out hammered garbage. Don't just put out some translations that are just complete, <laughs> of course. you know. And you want to make sure if you're selling your distribution rights to somebody for the translation that they're also going to be on the up and up, that they're not going to be misrepresenting you in any way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I never even really thought about that, honestly. Um, it just, isn't that funny? It's like I never really thought about that for my books. Yeah. And there's an opportunity that I just totally didn't even explore now. See, that's <laughs> that what you brought me it, on. <laughs> it won't be explored in the future. <laughs> Absolutely. It's something well worth considering. I would recommend that right now as you're listening to this and speaking to your listeners, and I'm, I'm speaking to you, of course, is it seems like you're drinking from a fire hose. And you are. And you mm -hmm. are. So probably the best first step is going to be this. Write your manuscript. 
consider getting it into ebook form, then print, then get it over to audiobook. Yeah. Once you have those three things going and you start to build awareness of that, you know, when you speak with your clients or maybe you're on stage speaking, you share that you have those assets. You have to build awareness. Mm -hmm. Do not rely on Amazon or Lulu or Ingram Spark to sell your books for you. Nope. You got to do it for yourself. No, they just handle the transaction. You have to drive the traffic. Exactly. You know? I get too many people that unfortunately believe they see these interviews with these would-be gurus that made $10,000 in their first 30 days of being in the business. Well, I got news for you. Either A, they're full of caca, or B, yeah, I went kindergarten on you. <laughs> or, or B, they're what we call a unicorn in the business. They are the yep. exception to the rule because the vast majority of people will not make $10,000 when you first get into self-publishing your books. Absolutely not. And no. If you really are smart and strategic about how you put your book together, understanding who your audience is, how to solve their problem, and you're putting this out, one of the other things you're going to do also within each one of these books is you're building your authority of whatever niche that you're in. You want to build that authority and credibility and also put and send them out to different touchstones of your brand so you can build awareness. So for instance, in one of my books, I could probably be saying, uh, in my one post on such and such, dalelroberts.com, I said this. All of a sudden, I just kind of just silently whispered into their ear and I said, I've got a website. <laughs> and so they're going, oh, he's got a website. I'm going to go check it out. Right. The other thing you can do, another thing for a touchstone is an email newsletter. People, believe it or not, are still using email, okay? A lot oh, of people yeah. think email marketing's dead. If anybody says no. that, run away from them or, or just throw throw a glass of water in their face. And say, if it's interesting, if they care, they'll open that sucker up. Let me absolutely. tell you, I don't care how much is in their inbox. <laughs> and, and if anybody wants to believe that, that's fine because that means there's more of a piece of the pie for me, honestly. That's right. But it comes that's down right. to the end of the day, email newsletter, if you can put that inside your book as well. And the other thing is building awareness of any backlist, any other books that you already have. And also, oh, can I, can I just veer off just a little bit? Because I love talking about audiobooks. <laughs> so you can actually send them to your audiobook. Now, here's a fun little tip. And I share this only on a very few podcasts, but a few of you might be aware of this or might not be aware of this. Okay, so we'll say audiobooks. How much do audiobooks typically cost? Just take well, a wild guess. I'd say as far as for the consumer yeah. to buy it, mm -hmm. I'd say $12. Okay, so $12. Let's just, for the sake of just making this easy, we're going to round it down to $10, we'll say. Okay. So it's $10 for, you know, and we, you're not wrong, by the way. This can vary. We're just using this for a, a, a case study, an example. It's okay, Dale. <laughs> so with audiobooks, if you're distributing through a platform like Audiobook Creation Exchange, you're getting only 40% of all sales. So you're getting $4 out of the $10 that you're selling it for. Okay, $4 is not going to be anything that's going to make you rich. Um, sure, if you sell a few thousand, but you know, most instances that won't happen overnight. There's a really cool little program that ACX wants to get you involved in. And is the bounty program. Now, how the bounty program works like this. If you refer anybody to a link that goes to your audiobook, now they're going to give you a special link inside your ACX dashboard. Right. You send them to that, and that person signs up for Audible. They'll get your audiobook for free. And you're probably going, oh, no, wait, hang on. It went from $4 to nothing? 
no, no, no. Stay with me for just a second. This, this is one that you, when you fall on the sword, it's so worth it. Because what ends up happening is if they stay on the 30 days past their free trial, you get a $75 bonus. So let me go ahead and break that out again. They give you a link. You send your readers over to that link. They get a free copy of your book, plus another two free uh, audiobooks as well. They stay on for an additional 30 days. You get $75. Now, there might be a random person out there that might not stay on. They probably just, they, they, they love freebies. So they're just going to take their free thing, deuce out, and that's okay. But here's the cool thing. They got your audiobook. So I call that a win. Yeah. And maybe you convert one out of every, I don't know, we'll say one out of every 10. That's worth it. One out of every 10 people that go over and get your book for free, $75 versus $40. Hello, sign me up to that. That's now, good math. <laughs> so you're probably saying to yourself, but what about that missed opportunity? What about that nine out of 10 people that got it for free? I'm just not set on people getting freebies from me. You're going to also get your narrator to insert a little call to action inside your audiobook. And this is this is fun. Oh, I love this. See, I told you I like talking about audiobooks. Yeah, you do. You're going have to, to do another show on just that, right? Yes, exactly. You're going to go ahead and get your narrator to put in a special chapter. And part of that special chapter is going to be telling your listener, as part of your purchase of this audiobook, you will now get a downloadable PDF audiobook accompaniment. Then you will actually have maybe a checklist, maybe it's some type of graphs or demonstrations and such like that. And within that downloadable PDF, you know what you're going to do? You're going to promote all of your other things, all of your backlist, right. maybe your speaking engagements, maybe even other audible, you know, bounty links that you can slip into there and be like, hey, you got this book already. Maybe you should go check out this one. And then you've already got all these other touchstones. And this, by the way, this is one of the biggest missed opportunities. And this is something that I even like blew people away that they could do this. They're like, wait, downloadable PDFs with, with the audiobook? Is that legal? It absolutely is. In fact, <laughs> it's that legal. <laughs> yes. They're like, is this allowable? It's like, yeah, absolutely. In fact, you, if you publish to Audible, Audible will actually store the PDF in the library for the person who purchases it through there. So when they have it inside their library, they can just download it from there. I would recommend that if you're going to aggregate out to numerous platforms beyond ACX, going into libraries, that you have some type of a short link of some sort. So it could be, say, pappybook.com. And... Mm -hmm they will go to that and download the PDF. Now, worst case mm -hmm. scenario, let's say that that .com gets leaked to somebody. Well, guess what? It promotes yeah. your brand. So exactly. again, you're looking at so much that it's these small things that can make a huge difference. And I, I, I just, I get so excited about this and hopefully everybody can kind of sense why I do because this is the path of least resistance, folks. It's easier than you know. And all it's going to take, again, is just taking that first step forward. Well, it's a smart move on Audible's part because they're actually paying you basically to get them subscribers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the growth of Audible as a company, as well as Audible reading, you know, listening to audiobooks, 
it's it's a win-win for everybody. And uh, I think that's smart on their part. You know, I see it all over Amazon. Get this book on Audible for free when you sign up for a th- you know thirty day trial or whatever. So they're they're definitely doing their end of the of the work as far as marketing and promoting the the offer. Um, because it's one of those things that's easy to get addicted to. It's like I subscribe oh, to yeah. YouTube Red, which is where you pay, I think it's like twelve ninety nine a month, and you get no ads on anything in YouTube. So the people that are, you know, making money off of ads in their YouTube videos, um, you know, are for the YouTube Red subscribers, which basically I think they're calling uh, premium now or something premium, like that. Premium, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's how it started. It was, it was called YouTube Red, um, and uh, and and I I like it's for me. It's you know getting subscription fatigue on so many levels. You know, it's like is it Netflix this month? Is it you know <laughs> which one is yeah. it? Right, uh, Amazon Prime, all these different things that you can subscribe to, and they just like they eat away like a little rat chewing on a wire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they just eat away at your income. But what's what I love about it is I freaking can't stand commercials like even on television it's like i will pay i don't care just tell me how much i will pay whatever to you know and <laughs> that's why i like serious radio you know because the problem is it's so you know the the compression really ruins the quality but don't get me started on this stuff dale come on yeah, yeah. talk it's, about going down a rabbit hole oh yeah well <laughs> it's, it's it's ling chi folks it's it's death by a thousand cuts is what it's referred <laughs> yes. to and you, you just you honestly it's it's an or, old medieval torture you know type method is you know you just slowly get those cuts and you just will bleed to death eventually oh, goodness, yeah, gracious. it's that's the way it is and yeah you do have to be very careful about those subscription-based services just know what's going to serve your purpose so for instance i do have youtube premium and the reason mm-hmm. why i have that is because i spend so much time studying on youtube uh whether it's learning more about self-publishing or video content creation i don't want to be bothered with out by my garage or out in my garage with my lamborghini because books are knowledge shut up dude if I wanted to hear that, I'll go watch your channel. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to come on. I want to watch the videos. I want to get right to the stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't mind if a creator is going to go ahead and mention a sponsor spot because in most instances, either A, I'll sit through it, or B, I'll just go ahead and start to skip forward on it. But for the most and, part. And it may be of service to you. You yeah. know, if you want to continue expanding your knowledge and get into something that you may have to lay down some cash for or spend more time with, why wouldn't you, right? I mean, yeah. if That's one of my biggest problems with YouTube stuff is, I've, I've always been really soft in my call to action, and I I know I'm doing a disservice. So the new videos that I'm, I'm kind of launching as part of Pappy Club are going to be so different because it's all about really being of service to that viewer. And, and that's definitely something important um, that you have to do on any type of content oh, that you're yeah. creating, whether it's a blog post, a video, or whatever. Be confident. And that's the thing is I, I had to teach my brother this when he broke into the world of YouTube. Um, he felt weird about asking people to subscribe to the channel. I'm like, well, of course, if you just ask people to subscribe to your channel, it's going to feel weird. I mean, it's like yeah. standing on a street corner and being like, hey, can I have some money? <laughs> no. Like, no. I, 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 who are you? Like, but. Give me your cell phone. If you can Give be me able ride. to build something in here, and this is what I call your creed. You know, when you're doing your YouTube channel, it's funny, we've, we've landed on this subject here. But when you can build in your creed, where you can say exactly what it is that the person stands to gain by involving themselves with you through a subscribe of some sort. So it could be something like, hey, how's it going? This is Dale L. Roberts, and 
If you're new here and you wanna learn how to self-publish a book, make sure that you hit the subscribe and you see, you're telling them what they stand to gain mm -hmm. through subscribing. You're telling yes. them exactly how they can learn so much. That probably wasn't my best uh, welcome. Yeah, uh, but but it, it, no, that's perfect. That's I mean, it even even helps me. It's like, just be clear, just to the point, clear, get mm -hmm. it out and focus on the content and the Absolutely. experience that you're creating. Yeah. So, so much. Yeah, we can, we can break it. Uh, you talk to you, talk to me about YouTube, baby. We're, we're going to, that's, that's <laughs> it, you know, but I mean, look at, look at how much time we've been chatting already. It's like, a, we're like almost at an hour here and I'm going, oh my God, we could keep going and going and going. Dale, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh my goodness. You have, you're such a wealth of information and entertainment. And I love that we're connected. I love that we're becoming friends. And uh, I definitely am going to have you back and have you also do some training inside Pappy Club because you do, you have so many wonderful things. So for my listener, please follow Dale, connect with Dale, eat Dale's stuff because he has wonderful things that is going to help you uh, be an incredible diversified publisher and grow your business through your writing. Dale, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. You know, being a solo can be incredibly rewarding when you have the right guidance, resources, and community to help drive your business vision. The great news is that's exactly what you'll get with Simplify and Multiply. You've just listened to another episode of the Simplify and Multiply show with Terry Pappy. If you want to get free marketing and business development tips, templates, trainings, and more, head over to simplifyandmultiply.com and sign up. Learn how you can grow your business the easy way. That's simplifyandmultiply.com to join our growing community of amazing, talented solopreneurs out to simplify their business, multiply their income, and make a big impact in the solopreneur economy.